Ronananian. You're not the guy turning the wrench. You're the guy paying the bill. Your opinion counts on the quality of the repair and the procedure or process by which it was done. You fixed everything. You like it? Yeah. The car doctor. They say disconnect your battery cable if you don't work on something electrical. So I'm scared to, uh, afraid to take my battery cable loose now because I'm afraid I might not start. You know, you should be able to connect and disconnect the cable back and forth without hurting the car. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, quiet numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Here's Ronnie. The responsibility of taking care of a car really needs to be handed down to the next generation. It's going to be a problem. Hello and welcome, Ron and Andy and the car doctor talking to you today. You know, I've noticed this, that we teach the kids how to drive. We make sure they get driver's licenses. We try to help them, maybe we try to help them get into a car and, or we let them drive ours. But do we talk to them enough about, here's how to take care of it. Here's the responsibility. And I don't know that we are because I wonder if, if we as parents, the majority of you, know how to take care of a car or, or even think about it. Is it just a giant appliance? And it's a generational thing. It's, it's something I've noticed over time. I, I work out at a local gym, you know, just, and I do, all right, trying to, you know, I'm going to live forever, right? I got to keep fixing cars. And I'm the old guy. I mean, I am. I'm the old guy there, and or one of the old guys. And you listen. You learn a lot by listening. And, and, and I listen to the kids. To me, they're kids. They're 30 years old. They're 35 years old. And they're talking about their lease cars, and a lot of them don't buy cars because their parents didn't buy cars because they leased cars because that's what they were taught. And and that's what the next generation is being raised on. Lease a car. Don't own, well the next generation is being leased on don't even own a car, right? It's it's Uber and Lyft and all the all the ride services. But who's going to somewhere along the way somebody has to fix these cars because a lot of these younger people that aren't being explained the value of repairing something are 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 going to be left high and dry and it, it's hard to catch up because once you fall behind uh, you know it's 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 hard to catch up in terms of, of 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 a culture or a tradition betty and antonina are are, are dear friends of my wife and ours and, and we love them to death they're a little older and they're just a cute older couple and they're 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 just funny how they how they relate to a car tonino had the um the 88 lincoln town car that I, we talked about from time to time here on the show and it had well, 150 160 000 miles on it and tonino was of the school of thought that my mechanic can fix it and i can drive it forever and i kept you know tonino i'm running out of parts the car's 40 years old all right so he finally went out and after the last go around i forget what it was we couldn't get six seven months ago and they purchased, for good, better, or, or worse, a 2018 Chevy Impala. And it's not that it's a problem car, but the electronics that are in this car are, are just, this really is Wright Brothers to Space Shuttle, okay? And they came over the other day, and Tonino's telling me he gets his first oil change free at the, at the dealership, and 
I said, fine. You know, he went back and he said, but now the odometer doesn't work. And I said, well, but this, that doesn't make any sense, right? Come on, give me the keys. It was after dinner. We, we ran outside and I sat in the car and yeah, when the kid changed the oil reset, when he did the oil change and did the reset, he never put the odometer back up on the screen and he left it like that. And poor Tonino, he's, you know, he's just baffled by all this. He just couldn't relate to this. He just, where'd the odometer go? He says, I'll go see Ron. We'll, we'll go there for dinner over the weekend. We'll... So then I'm listening to Betty Anna talk, his, his, his wife, and she's, you know, she's talking about the car and how much they love the car, but, you know, the technology is overwhelming to them, and they're sorry that they didn't replace the Lincoln sooner so that they could kind of evolve into steps because Tonino still wants to maintain the Chevy Impala the way he maintained the Lincoln, which is, it's just night and day difference. And it made me realize, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're creatures of habit. It's, it's what we've been taught or it's what we've done over the years, and it's hard to get out of habit. And it's, it's going to be hard for Tonino not to maintain this 2018 Impala the way he maintained his 88 Lincoln because, obviously, he's going to go too much. And the kids driving the 2019 Acura is not going to maintain it at all. So, you know, how do you reach that? And, how do you, and, and, and I don't have that answer. I really don't. And I've thought about this, and I've come to the conclusion that, you know, it's just a question or a matter of listening and explaining and, and, and hoping that people get it. But I, I just make this as a general statement. I wonder if we're going to see more cars in the future down on the side of the road with hoods up as a result of maintenance that wasn't done because people didn't know to do it. And, and, and that's where all this is. It's on the back of my mind. It'll be a couple of years before we see the result, but that's what I think uh, that's what I think is going to happen. So um, just something to think about, that the responsibility of maintenance is up to us. We have to explain it to the next generation so they understand the value and they perform it as as needed. Hello and welcome. Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. Let's, uh, you've got a lot going on today. Franklin Gage, president of the Vintage Chevrolet Club of America, is going to be with us at 2.30, uh, or I'm sorry, down around the bottom of the hour today. And uh, we're looking forward to talking to Franklin. But right now, let's kick the garage doors open. Jeremy in D.C., the Capital, um, 12 Chevy Cruze. What's going on here, Jeremy? How can I help? Hey, uh, well, Happy New Year. You I, too, uh, I put a new uh, crankshaft seal on this uh, baby, you know, behind the uh, pulley. And it's the 1.4 turbo. Right. So here's the thing. I used the air wrench to blast the, you know, the uh, bolt off it so to get it off. Right. And to put it back on, it's a procedure. Has, yeah, it's, it's well, yeah, you know, it's one of these torque to yield jobs where yep. you put 110 then plus 60 degrees. Yep. But of course, I don't have the special tool to hold this freaking pulley. Right. And I can't really get a pry bar in well, so I just, you know, I put it in as far as I could by hand, holding it, you know, with like a screwdriver, and then hit it with the uh, air gun and kind of kissed it. I mean, do you think that? Is going to do it, not, but I don't know how much it actually turned with the air gun. So my backup plan was today put a new bolt on and do it by using a torque stick that's at 120 pounds and then put a little mark on the end of the, uh, you know, the air gun, um, you know, the socket. Right. And then try to blast that another 60 degrees. But 
Do you think I'd be okay just leaving it from the first time where I just, you know, nailed it as hard as I could? Well, why don't we... After, yeah, I mean, after hand tightening? Why don't we try this? Because I, I think it would be foolish and I'd be a hypocrite if I sat here and I said, you know, every special tool and every special procedure, Jeremy, I've always followed the book. Yeah, that's you, why I'm asking. You, you know, know, sometimes sometimes auto repair is a gut call. All right, brother? It's yeah. Sometimes sometimes you're going to kiss it with the air gun and, you know, you're going to keep an eye on it. So... Why don't you leave it where it is? If if you feel better giving it another tap with the air gun, go ahead and then stake it or chisel mark it. Take a long stra take a long flat blade uh, chisel, right? Yeah. Tap the head of the bolt, make a mark on the chisel, make a mark on the bolt flange, and make a mark on the crank pulley. All right. So now you know that's where it was. Um, yeah. Well, too. Now I just make the mark at twelve o'clock, and I know that's at twelve o'clock. Right. That's fine. And just you know, I make a mark on the pulley, make a mark on the bolt. You know, just put yeah. just put the head, face of the chisel across both. And if you come back to it in two weeks, a month, or as you service it for an oil change, if ever those marks start to move, you'll know. Good deal, man. Well, I appreciate. It. So, I mean, the fact that I didn't, you know, I did it as hard as I could by hand, and then I hit it with the air gun, and the fact that I didn't necessarily see it move a whole hell of a lot. That's not something I got to concern myself with. You don't think? Mm, I don't think your eye would see it. One one thing one thing to think about if you ever do it again. Yeah. You know, you you probably put a, a little dab. Of, you could put a little dab of a Loctite or a thread lock on the on the mm -hmm. threads. Put a little oil under the flange of the bolt. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was worried. There's too much friction under there, and that's what kept it from moving. But right. So, because the idea is you're gonna you're gonna spin the head of the bolt. All the a lot of the bolts today. I shouldn't say all, but a lot of the bolts today are torsional, or in that they twist. And that yeah. amount of, that amount of twist is it's a very different porking type of uh, specification we run today, and it's 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 very exact and very pronounced. But try it the way I did it, and, you know, I, I, I bet you'll be fine. Just keep an eye on it. Okay. All right? Well, man, I appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good luck to you, Jeremy. Happy New Year to you, too, brother. You're very welcome. 855-560-9900. When we come back, Paul in Maryland, stick by the phone. We'll be right there. I'm Ronan Andy and the Car Doctor. Don't go away. Little GTO, you really look at Three deuces and a four-speed. Need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO? Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Hey, let's get over and talk to Paul in Maryland. Paul, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. How you doing today? Good, sir. What's going on? Good, good. I'm trying to hook up a trailer brake controller on a uh, 2017 Chevy uh, Express van. Okay. And I need some guidance on how to hook it in and see what's going on with that. So are you, you're, you're, you're using an aftermarket install kit? Correct, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And do they provide... The truck has the... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, do they provide instructions with it? I haven't bought the. Tr I haven't bought a controller yet. I'm still searching. Okay. So your question is, because a lot of this is going to be particular for the vehicle, is you want to see the instructions before you buy the kit. You want to see, okay. you want to see how specific they get and just exactly what do they want you to do. And here's, here's the concern, all right, because a, a lot of this, some of, well, I'll, I'll say it like this, some of this is still plug and play, but some of mm -hmm. this also requires programming. I don't believe it will on a 17, 
but the instructions should warn you ahead of time what's going to be required on your end because sometimes, all right, brake light wiring is not brake light wiring. Sometimes it's a signal coming out of a, uh, as part of the CAN bus, coming out of a module that tells the bulb to turn on by a digital signal. It's not, you know. Right. That was, that was some of my concern, too, with how they do the CAN bus technology on everything right, right now. It's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not always voltage. And it, I'm going to say it probably is on yours. But just to make the point so everybody's aware of it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anytime I see somebody starting or trying to get into something like this, I always encourage them, listen, talk to the manufacturer. There's blogs, there's forums, there's guys that have hooked it up before you specific to your vehicle, specific to the kit you choose, and, you know, make the decision from there. And, and don't necessarily choose it on price. All right. Understood. Yeah, I'm trying to get the best one. Right. Um, it's the truck's got the tow package on it with the seven-pin connector and everything out on the bumper from the factory. Okay. So I'm guessing, and from the research I've done so far, there's a, a wiring terminals or harness that ends up under the dash. Well, wait a minute now. The controller into if if it's got the RPO tow package installed in it. Mm-hmm. So, what makes you? If it's got the tow package on the bumper, why isn't the harness in place? Maybe I misunderstand. That I'm, I'm just early stages here. I, I found uh, just research online and everything. Well, I'm trying to set this up for my dad. Okay, because if it has, if it has the, if it has the trailer connector in the bumper, mm-hmm. the harness might be there, and it's a matter of, or it might just be a matter of connecting the bumper to a junction block. Um, in the, uh, it's probably above the left uh, left spring perch somewhere. There is a junction box there uh, because what, okay. what they'll do is they'll run digital. I've seen they'll run digital signal back to a module located above the spare tire well on some of these, and then from there it, it'll come out as simple voltage, or it'll come out and they'll split it and they'll make this going to the tail lamp assemblies and this leg going to the trailer connector. Okay. So maybe, you know, if this has if this has the the plug in the bumper, this might be a conversation with the dealer saying, "Hey, you know, here's the VIN, here's the RPO, the regular production option code list, which is likely on the glove box door." All right. Glove box door. Okay. And and if it's not there, we're seeing in a van. That should be there on a van. Either that or it's on top of the spare tire or the jack information in the rear of the vehicle, wherever they store that. It's generally one of the two places. Okay. But it's going to be a case of, hey, here's the VIN, here's the RPO codes. What do I need to finish putting the trailer install in if I've already got the harness in the in, in the bumper? Okay. It, it just might be that simple. So it might not be that, that big a deal. Um, and then, worst case scenario, somebody might have to go in with, you know, dealer-level capable scan tool or the, or the tool itself and just turn it on. Believe it or not, the, the car okay. companies actually install a lot of options in vehicles today, and sometimes and when then just delete it and block them out. Right, yeah, and then, and then sometimes when you're when you when you want to make it work, you're paying for the, you know, when you check the box to put X, Y, or Z in, into the car, you're, you're you're paying for them to turn it on with software, but it's there. It's, okay. It's, here, I'll give you gotcha. an, I'll give you an example. I bought my 19 Silverado a year and a half ago, and I wanted mm-hmm. re, and I wanted remote start. The kit was, let me think for a second, it was like 120 bucks. came with the remotes, and it came with a jumper wire that they had to install on the hood latch that 
told it when the hood was up, it wouldn't allow the remote start to work. Mm-hmm. And and the rest of the expense was that they had to turn it on with the factory level tool. It was. It really wasn't. <laughs> so everything hard. was there. Everything. Everything yeah. was there. It just it was programming. It really wasn't hard to do. So. Well, I see that's uh, much more and more common, like you're saying. Yeah. It's well because listen, it's not. It's. It's 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 so simple now with software. It's just they 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 think of it like that, and then if somebody finds out, hey, it's there. We've just got to turn it on with software. Guess what? It's 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 easier to sell it because it's not as expensive. Mm-hmm. So, gotcha. But that that should do it for you. Cool. All right. Okay. So and um, then while I got you, yeah. I'm also looking at a uh, newer Ford Escape. I wanted to get your thoughts on those, like a 17 or 18. Um, I have no problems with the Escape. I think they're one of the better vehicles out there on the road today. Uh, like a okay. lot, like a lot of the car companies, you know, when you're you're buying something used, I'm going to tell you, you know, condition dictates price. Mm-hmm. Make, make sure you drive it. Um, I prefer the seventeen. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I just prefer the seventeen and the eighteens over the nineteens because nineteen they started start stop technology, and I know we're never going to get away from it. But if if I can avoid it for a while, I plan to. Um, okay, yeah. so the seventeens and eighteens don't have that. No, they shouldn't. They should be. They should be straight okay. up. You know, regular. Started up uh, like you know we got intended, okay. and gotcha. you know yes, yeah, drive it during the day, drive it during the night. Make sure you get the bigger engine. I like the two liter, not the little one. And yep, that's you know, what I was looking at. Yep. And, and then look at the mileage that's on it. The one glitch mm-hmm. that we're seeing with some of the escapes is the 16s, 17s, and 18s. Some of them, not all of them, are having head gasket issues. And to okay. the, to their credit. Ford is bending over backwards, making sure everybody gets what they need. I've, I, I've witnessed it. I just witnessed Ford buying back a customer's vehicle that they deemed was going to take too long to fix. They bought, mm-hmm. the, they bought. They gave the woman a brand new 2019 that she picked out, and they credited her her two years of payments against that 19. Wow. So it's like she was making payments on a 19. It's like she drove the 17 for free for two years. Mm-hmm. I, you can't ask for more than that. So, all right, sir. Um, and uh, with those long-term durability, you're not seeing any issues? No, they're, they seem to be rocks. Ask my engineer, Tom, the next time you call in. Tom's got one. He's got a 14, or he's got a 15, and I think it's got 240,000 miles on it or so. Um, something like that. So uh, they, they tend to run forever. I'm running into the car doctor. Hey, coming up next, Franklin Gage, the Vintage Chevrolet Club of America. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. back running into the car doctor you know it's it's funny right you uh you never know what to expect especially when it comes to automobiles and and and, and what transpires last week we we're reading a recent issue of uh, generator and distributor and franklin gage was listening he is the uh, president of the vintage chevrolet club of america and he wrote me a note he said holy cow he said and there you were and you were talking about me and i said holy cow we're going to interview you next week and he went what and here he is franklin you're there sir yes uh, how are you today my friend I'm fine. I'm at the uh, Meekum auction in Kissimmee, where Meekum very kindly gives us a booth to find new members. Oh, I bet you that's got to be an experience to go through, right? Just to see all the cars that are down there? Yeah, well, I'm kind of tied up at the booth, but I see a lot of them go by. Right. 
Um, tell me about the Vintage Chevrolet Club of America. Why? Why? And, and you know, I mean it from your perspective, Franklin. What is it about Chevrolet that that, that turns you on like it does? Well, it's very much accidental. Um, I was born in 1955, and my mother had a new 1951 Chevy in 1951, and that was our only car until 1970. And uh, I saw an ad for one in 1997 in the back pages of the paper in the classifieds, and just for fun, I went to look at it, and somehow it ended up in my garage. And somehow. Uh, somehow it reproduced, <laughs> and there are more of them now. Uh, yeah. But the 51 is still my sentimental favorite, and uh, it gets driven all over the country. And is, you, you know, and I know the answer, and I just want you to state the obvious if it's true, but, you know, is that 51 the sentimental favorite because it was mom's car? Absolutely, and I find most of the people get into the collector car hobby. Usually their first car somehow reminds them of their misspent youth. Right. And uh, in this case, it happened to be my mother's only car for 19 years. Right. And my father didn't drive at all, so most of my family memories are because of that car. And then I I remember I'd, I've never owned a new car, but I didn't know a thing about collector cars, so I found someone in the Yellow Pages to appraise it. And uh, as we were driving through the hills of the D.C. suburbs, uh he said to me, well, if you buy it, you're going to meet the nicest people in the world. And someone came up and handed me a copy of the generator and distributor the first time I went to get gas in 1997. And I immediately joined the Vintage Chevrolet Club, and it's been a very happy ride ever since. What's the What's the oldest Chevrolet you've seen? Well, I guess the oldest I've ever seen would be 1912. Um we had a member in Ohio that recently acquired one. Um, the oldest one I have is a 1927. It's my most impractical car, but it's the most fun to drive. Why is that? Well, I, there's just something about a Chevy four-cylinder that uh, doesn't go all that fast. But you, uh, there's uh, until you drive one. I really, I guess, I'm really not very good at describing it. Yeah, is it? Is it and is it? Do you look at the cars and do you see American history in each one? The lifestyles, the culture, the point at where the country was at that Absol time. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I don't just look at the car. Every car has a story behind it. Anyone can go on the internet and find an image for just about any car that was ever built. Right. But when you find out the stories of marriages and you know, like my own childhood in the '51. There are always interesting stories, and in some of the cars, you know, sometimes a guy may have bought it new, and then he sold it, and then he had second thoughts, and years later found his car again. There are just endless stories, which we try to feature in the magazine every month. Well, and I, I, I have to agree. I, I say this all the time. I don't think 50 years from now there's going to be a vintage Honda club. Nobody's going to be talking about their mother's Toyota. It just doesn't seem to fly like that. And I'm, well, I'm not sure, uh, we, we, you know. We may disagree on that. I don't know what's going to happen in 50 years, but I suspect that there will be some people, it may not be as many as in our generation, who have an interest in whatever they grew up with. Well, but then will, be, will they be able to get parts for it is the other side of that comment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, right. then maybe they'll start 3D copying them or something. Well, I, that's, <laughs> I guess that's a possibility. But I often, I often think that the vintage you know, car clubs such as the Chevrolet, 
you know, because you can still repair most of what's out there, correct? You can find something somewhere that will either the right part or you can find something that will work. Yeah, so I have friends in the hobby, though, who have some pretty rare cars, and if they have to, they if you have enough money, you get the part made, or if you have enough talent, you do it yourself. Right, right. Um, but um, I would just love for your listeners who have an interest in vintage Chevys to check us out on the web, where B is in vintage, C as in Chevrolet, C as in club, a as in America dot org. So it's VCCA dot org. Yeah, and we'll 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 get that up on the air again. We'll actually put it up on our Facebook page for you. We, uh, we, we know that, that uh, that's very nice of you. I, I I guess we have to admit you and I don't know each other, but I feel like I do because I managed to tune you in the, in the hills of West Virginia every so often. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's one thing about about old car guys, right? We uh, we, we, we know a lot of people we haven't met yet, and um, yeah. you, you know. And I saw the picture of you on your website and sitting in your '55 Chevy. Well, and you know, so there's my Chevy story, right? I was a I was a young kid. I went and saw American Graffiti in 1973. I said, "That's the neatest thing in the whole world to me." That black '55, and little did I know it would lead me down this path. I mean, that's what yeah. that's what kickstarted me, and it's been Chevrolets ever since. You know, as a matter of fact, I can't get away from them. It's, it's, you know, I can't tell you this. That's the that one's probably the sixth or seventh fifty-five, and I just recently went out and found the seventy-two Monte Carlo I went to college in, and uh, you know, it's just there's just something about that that childhood memory that drags, our magazine, that, yeah, that drags our, our, We do our monthly magazine, and our January issue, which I'm handing out to people here at the auction, has a nineteen seventy Monte Carlo on the cover. Okay. Okay. And then we had a fifty-five in the November issue, so we we try to appeal to anyone who has an interest in Chevrolets or GMCs. We started recognizing GMCs at our shows uh, about five years ago, and most of our judging at our shows is uh, oriented toward original cars. However, we do have a personalized Chevrolet chapter, and we welcome anyone with a car that may have been. Uh, somewhat modified, and uh, you were all Chevy people. Is it is is there an age limit, Franklin? Is it is it a Chevrolet? Could somebody join the club with a 2019 Chevrolet, or is it is it is it older well, stuff? The, the truth is, you don't even have to own a car to join us. Okay. But the uh, the uh, judging is for cars that are 25 years or older. So in 1995 and earlier, is welcome on our judging field. Um, we do have tours for the newer cars, and uh, our membership, if you get your uh, monthly magazine online, is only $25 a year. If you get it mailed every month, it's only $40 a year. I, I don't like to brag too much, but I, I often say that we're the best bargain in the automotive hobby. Well, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of information uh, packed between the covers of Generator and Distributor, and a lot of, well, if, if you're trying I, to restore I, a Chevrolet, it's, it's all there. If you uh, you probably noticed in the back of every issue, we have a list of technical advisors for almost every year, and uh, there isn't a whole lot that they don't know about how to help you with your car. Yeah, yeah. Or truck. Be before I let you go, Franklin, real quick, your thoughts. Is the membership getting older, younger, staying the same? Do you see it expanding? Is it hard to attract people into the into we, the club? We. 
we have had a slight decline in the last five years. However, uh, I, I've been analyzing the membership figures, and we actually have been going up for the last four months. And, yes, we tend to be older, but when I come to an event like this Meekum Auction, there are young over the place here. So it's only a matter of finding them, and we have many enthusiastic members. Our newest technical advisor is a 19-year-old from Michigan who for the last six years has torn apart and started putting back together again his 1949 business uh, coup. Yeah. So, uh, 19-year-old giving advice to everyone else. It's yeah, wonderful. It's wonderful is right. Franklin, I want to thank you for taking the time. I know you got a lot going on. The, again, the website is victorcharliecharlieapple.org, Vintage Chevrolet Club of America. Right. Come see us. Okay. All right. Anytime, pal. You, you need anything, you call us. All right? And it's wonderful to meet you, if only on the phone. Thank you, Franklin. You have a good rest of the day. Thanks. You take, good, see you. you take good care. Yes, sir. 855-560-9900. Ron and Ian, the car doctor. We're coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Ian, the car doctor. Let's go over Tom in Wisconsin, 05 Buick. Tom, what's going on? How are you? Yeah, I got a 2005 Buick 3.8 with 140,000 miles on. Okay. And now that, now that the weather got cold, um, if you start it up outside, there's some engine noise that you can hear in the house. It's that loud. Hmm. No, I had two different mechanics, and one said he eliminated all the extras. So I assume he took the serpentine belt off, and it still made the noise. Okay. And the other mechanic says, well, drive it till it don't drive anymore. Now, you know, so the first question is we've got to make sure the other mechanic, did he take the belt off? All right? right. Just, you know, because that was going to be my first go-to. If we take the belt off and it's still making the noise, verify, yes, it's internal in the motor. If the if the vehicle warms up, if the, I'm sorry, if the engine if if the outside temp goes above 35, the noise goes away. The noise is much much quieter. It's still there, but you have to listen to hear it. Top of the motor, bottom of the motor, front, back, I, I, any direction. I, I can't really tell. It just does it change when you put it in gear? Nope. You own the car since new. No. Okay. I just bought it for my grandson. Okay. Uh, well, now you know why they sold it. So, um, well, I bought it this summer, and there was no noise. Right. Now that, now that it's got cold out, the noise is there. So I don't know if, if the noise was there last winter or not. I'm just thinking this is somehow oil or lubrication related. And my concern is... You know, do we have an oil pressure problem with this engine that we're not able to see? You probably don't have a gauge. It probably has a light, or does this have a gauge, do you know? It's got the light. It's got a light. I wonder if we looked at oil pressure, where oil pressure is, just to see is it at spec. You know, is this a, is this a low oil pressure condition? Um, have you changed the oil since you've owned it? Yes. Uh, do any com Did you get any commentary or feedback on what the oil looked like? No, I did not. You know, dirty beat. I'm just you know just phrasing it. Dirty beat up, sludgy, varnishy. Uh -huh. um, you know, I've seen a few of these three eights as they get older. If they haven't had great oil change maintenance, that they start to show it with age, especially as temperatures drop. And that's what I'm concerned about here. So let's do this in steps. Let's make sure. Let's never assume because it's a dirty word on radio and in auto repair. Let's make sure the mechanic pulled the belt off and it still made the noise. And then we know it is internal in the engine. And then after that, 
then let's do an oil pressure test. Let's do an oil sample. What does the oil look like? For that matter, you could take uh, some oil out as a sample on the next oil change and send it out to one of the labs. And here's a reason to use one of the labs. I've never been a fan of it, but they will come back and tell you what percentage of what metals are found in that oil. And then you can, might be able to make a determination, is the engine actually coming apart? You know, I'm not, I'm not proposing to fix it, but my concern is you're in Wisconsin. It's not exactly spring, and we're going to let your grandson drive it, and we don't want to get him stuck somewhere in a snowstorm and uh, have engine failure. And then, you know, obviously that's a problem for his safety. That's, um, that's my bigger concern. Okay. Yeah, to get stuck on a highway somewhere. Right. What if we uh, change the oil and put, like, a synthetic oil in? Would that... I, I mean, I mean, would that help the problem or hey, listen, help diagnose, it's, it's, it's diagnose it? It's it's not a tattoo. It can't hurt to try. All right. Okay. Uh, you know, you could go to a, maybe a thicker viscosity, a little bit of a heavier weight might might compromise something else. But at this stage in the game, it doesn't sound like we're going to get a lot of longevity out of this anyway. No. Uh, so you know, back to the original thought. Let's do oil pressure. Let's make sure the belt's been pulled. Let's do an oil sample, and then maybe we want to, you know, if it's a 520 oil and you want to go to a 530 or a 1030, um, or put, you know, there are various oil viscosity enhancers out there in the marketplace. Try one. See if it makes a difference. It can't hurt. You know, it's like it's like hanging a picture around the house with my wife, and she looks at it and she goes, "Do you like it there?" Yeah, I can always spackle the hole and move the nail. Um, you know, it's not a big deal. You can always do something else and try a different method, Tom. It's not going to hurt. You're not doing anything permanent because there may be damage already. Capiche? Yeah. So. But you know, with the with the heavy noise that that is there, it still performs good. Right. Well, like I said, until you run some of these tests. And then, and, and noises are hard on radio. Um, do what you do. What I said. Call me back. Let's talk next week. All right. I'll talk to you then. I'm Ron Anning, the car doctor. We're back right after this. Why well, this car is automatic? It's systematic. It's hydromatic. Why it's greased lightning? Welcome back. Ron Anning, the car doctor. We're rolling along as we get ready to wind down this hour. Bob in Nebraska, you're up next. What's going on? Well, I just thought I'd make a comment on uh, uh -oh. that first statement you had on your show. Okay. Uh, I was never a mechanic. I was one of those backyard mechanics, but I, uh, as I got married and I had children, all three of my children worked on their cars. I have two boys and one girl. I'm 77 years old, and I was always pretty technical. But I had a lot of friends who were mechanics and stuff, you know, back in that day. Yeah. And it was just a a thing that had to happen at my house, or you just didn't drive. Right. Well, let me ask you this question now. Do any of your kids have kids? Oh, yeah, and it's the same thing with theirs. They're See? teaching them, too. Because they were, they, were, they were trained to repair the car, and it's being passed on generation to generation. And my point and my thought and my fear is that the generation that leases a car that doesn't have to work on the car passes that down to the next generation and we're going to lose the thought process on repairing a car as a result. Appreciate your thoughts, Bob. Thanks, and have a great rest of the weekend. I'm Ron Anany, the car doctor, reminding you, the mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.